0: not able to pay bills, loss of a job, having to move, loss of health. Threats like these scare us to death. From Daniel chapter 2, with our study leader, Dave Woodson, let's learn how to react when facing life's threatening storms. We started out last week with a 14-year-old, and we learned how he was taken far away from home, And we face the challenge of him turning away from the Lord of his youth. And yet instead, Daniel purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself. And we challenge all of you that if you're 14, you can decide, I'm going to live for the great I am. I'm going to live for the one, the great I am that became a baby and was born in Bethlehem and died on the cross for our sins and rose again. You would think if you purpose in your heart when you're 14 that you're going to live for the great I am. The great I am makes you pass your oral exams. You become one of the wise men in Israel that leads kind of on the side. Not one of the full-fledged Chaldeans because he's not going to be called in with the initial wave when the king needs some wise advice. But he's definitely part of the wise group. You would expect that now that you finish your three-year training, everything would be smooth sailing from then on out. I got news for you. Turn to Daniel chapter 2. The Lord decides to give King Nebuchadnezzar, who is ruling the world at the time. We're going to learn the next time we get together that he is the head of gold. He is the most powerful ruler of his day. But the great I am who's really in control of kingdoms and governments and times and, and in charge of creation, in charge of the flow of history. That great king decides, I'm going to reveal to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the history all the way until the Lord sets up His kingdom on earth, and we're going to find that out in our dream of destiny next week. But we begin. Look at verse one. It says, "In the third, uh, it says, "In the second year, of uh, the reign of Nebuchadnezzar." This would be in right after Daniel had had finished his three years. Remember, we learned last week that the Babylonians don't include the ascension year. Nebuchadnezzar was uh, came to power in 605 BC after the Battle of Carchemish. His father died. He had to split across the desert as quick as he could. It was ordained, uh, really uh, put, you know, installed as the king of Babylon. Then he came back across the desert again, rejoined his army. His army besieged Jerusalem. Didn't destroy it at this time. That comes many years later in 586. But Nebuchadnezzar did take the royalty, like Daniel and his buddies. Bring them to Babylon in 605. Now it's 602. Three years later, let's see what's going to happen. It says, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. I love the Hebrew. It says, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams when I was a kid. The Bible teachers that I was in, there used to say, what else can you dream? How many of you have ever dreamed dreams? How many of you dreamt last night? Some of you have some really crazy dreams? Well, remember, in the book of Daniel, this is one of the ways that the king of kings, the reveal of history, speaks to people before the completion of God's word. He still does that. Like, for example, Bob Sanbury was praying during the Feast of Ramadan. A lot of those in the Islamic world are actually having visions where they see the Lord Jesus. They see a man with nail print in his hand, and it moves them. And I know that's real. So the Lord is powerfully working among his people. And he was working in King Nebuchadnezzar's life. And he gives them a dream that's actually going to lay out history from the time of Babylon till a time that's still future to us. So Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and his mind was troubled. Any of you ever had a bad dream and your mind was troubled? I know some of you younger ones, like my grandkids, they have bad dreams. Some of my own kids pray every night before their kids go to bed, help the grandkids to sleep, their own kids to sleep calmly. Well, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, he couldn't sleep. We're not sure, it's a little bit nebulous whether he couldn't sleep or whether he went back to sleep, but I do know that the next day, he was still troubling. He summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the astrologers. In other words, he calls all the wise men. And these guys come in. These are, are the comic relief in a way in the Book of Daniel. You can see them come in. They come in with their long robes, and they come before Nebuchadnezzar. And I want you to watch as you're studying the book how these guys periodically come on the scene. You know what these guys are like? How many of you have ever watched CNN and they bring in the experts? Anybody ever done that? i get the other group. How many of you ever watch Fox News? And they bring in the experts. How many of you have realized that a lot of times the experts don't have the answer? And that's very important. One of the things that this chapter is going to tell you is that these wise men, these enchanters, these sorcerers, what they would do in the ancient world, some of them would actually take a liver. This is a liver liver, not to eat, but they cut a liver out of an animal. And they would look at it and they tell King Nebuchadnezzar what was going to happen based upon the liver. That's where we're at. Now, you all laugh at that, but in the ancient world, that was serious stuff. They also had really good math. They could build buildings. So that those of you know, that are into architecture, they had really good math, good skills in building. You can look at, like I showed you last week, the the, the, the beautiful gate of Ishtar. So these guys have a mixture of really objective science that's really true and fits in with God's creative world, they also have some stuff that is not true at all. So I want all of you to realize that that's true in today's world as well. For example, when I studied chemistry, I was taught we're all objective and we all want to find out pure truth. As I've grown older, I found out that some of those PhDs in chemistry are putting in recommendations for their research and they want to get millions of dollars in order to cover the research. And I got news for you. It's not just objective. So there's lots of things we need to understand. Have you ever heard the phrase postmodern philosophy? What postmodern philosophy is, is a group of younger scholars that said, they, wait a minute, everybody always has an agenda. These wise men have an agenda. What they're also telling you that truth is personal. And what they mean by that is that you don't just step back and look objectively at something when you say you're being objective. Like when Channel 8, ABC says they're being objective. And when the New York Times says they're being objective. When Fox News says this is objective reporting. Or when CNN says it's objective reporting. I got news for you. It ain't. And the person that's really honest with you is the person who will say, I do have an agenda. These wise men have an agenda. It's their career. And it is staying in power in Babylon. They're also working with a megalomaniac that can lose his temper and can kill you. So they got deep power issues involved. So they come in, and what do they do? So the king summoned the magicians to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in, they stood before the king, and they said, I have a dream that troubles me. And I want to know what it means. So the astrologers answered in Aramaic, and from here on the book is written in Aramaic, which was the language of the Gentiles uh, of that day. It says, O king, live forever. What are they doing? Everybody tell me, what are they doing when they say, O king going Nebuchadnezzar, live forever? Good. They're buttering him up. So if you don't think the Bible's realistic, this will happen at your work. How many of you have somebody at work that's saying the equivalent to your boss, O boss, live forever? So if you don't think the Bible knows where you work or where you go to school, it does. These are men of the world. They're trying to make their career. All the way through this chapter, we're going to be introduced to this one side. So they say, oh, king, live forever. By the way, who is going to live forever? God's going to live forever. Who else is going to live forever? You are. You're going to live forever. You're going to live forever with the Lord, who is the one who ultimately lives forever. He's the source of life. But you're also going to live forever. The book of Revelation says that we don't receive the Lord Jesus and we're condemned because we choose to do that. Then the Lord respects us enough as being made in his image that we will live forever in estrangement from him. Because the Lord respects us enough. He's not being mean, but he's also being just and righteous. Daniel's teaching you, ironically, that these Babylonian wise men come in. Oh, king, live forever. They are trying to get on his good side. It doesn't work. Look what it says. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was, and if you can't interpret it, I will cut you in pieces. And your house will be turned into, I won't even use the word, a horse pile, a manure is the idea. A pile of rubble. But if I did use it. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive gifts from me. Rewards and gifts and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it. How many of you thought game shows we're a new modern thing. This is Nebuchadnezzar's ultimate game show. And what makes a game show really exciting is the tension. And if you want to really have tension, is answer the question right, and you're going to become one of the great rulers in the kingdom. Not just get a million dollars, you're going to get millions upon millions of dollars and power to boot. But if you answer wrong, you're going to die. Now, that's the ultimate game show. These guys are smart. Look what they say. Once more, they, they said, so the king, they replied, let me, say, let, me, let me let the king tell the servants what the dream will be, verse 7. And we will interpret it. This is standard Babylonian-Egyptian procedure. In all the ancient literature I read from Egypt and from Babylon, what the king does is he has a dream or he has a question, he has a vision. The wise men come in And like Sigmund Freud, the great psychoanalyst, the king lies on the couch, and I don't think Nebuchadnezzar ever was lying down on any couch, but you got the picture, and the interpreter hears the dream. And then in their great Ph.D. wisdom, they explain what the dream is. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is smart. Look what he says in the next paragraph. Nebuchadnezzar ups the ante. Look what he says. He's not going to follow standard procedure. What's he going to do? Then the king answered, I'm certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this thing has, has been firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. How many of you kids have just finished a week and a half at school? How many of you have some teachers that you're not quite sure are on your side? All of you as adults, how many of you have ever wanted to get back at your teachers. This is confession time. One of my students is very upset with me right now because of a grade that I gave them. Nebuchadnezzar was trained by these astrologers and wise men and Chaldeans from the time he was a little boy, much longer than Daniel was. And he started putting two to two together. I want you to follow the logic. If this person is so wise, and if I tell them a dream about what I dreamed during the night, if they can interpret it because they're in touch with some great, mysterious, revealing, supernatural beings, then it makes sense that they ought to be able to do what? They ought to be able to tell you your dream before you tell them. It's very logical. And King Nebuchadnezzar isn't any dumbbell. He's put two and two together. He says, you guys have been feeding lies and deception. I have seen you with my father, Nabonidas. And you gave him predictions about the way the battle would turn out. And the way that the economy would go. And whether or not there would be global warming or global freezing. Believers in our church family, you need to use your gas skillfully. You need to be green because your heavenly father created the world but you don't need to be scared to death today because the earth is going to get too hot when i was a kid the earth was going to get too cold and i was raised where it was minus 40 no evangelistically speaking this is very serious stuff because we've just come through decision making so my buddies up in Nebraska, where Mary's from, instead of growing corn to feed the poor, they grew corn so you could put it in your cars. And now missionaries tell me that poor people in Africa don't have enough to eat. And that's a real problem I'm concerned about. You understand what I'm saying? One of the things I want you to realize, in our church family, we need to have open, honest discussions, good science. Don't just believe. It's already been decided. Watch out for anybody in science that says that debate is over. When I was in science, the debate was never over, I was taught, because I always need to be open up to the facts, to what's really happening. My hypotheses have to keep changing. I worked for a whole year And the last week of my experiments in chemistry, my thing blew up, and it totally blew up all of my conclusions. And I had to totally rework my senior project and come up with totally different hypotheses, and my professor gave me an A, because I was honest. That's what real science does. Real science doesn't ever say, don't ask that question. So be careful of the wise men of the world. One of the things I want to teach you is that God is really there. He really does dwell among us. He has really given us this precious book. This book is going to tell you how history is going to end, and it is going to get really hot. But it's not going to get too hot until my Jesus says so. So I'm not afraid today. And I don't make foolish decisions because I'm afraid. This book, Daniel 2, is going to tell you how history will end. And it just whets your appetite for a much fuller revelation in 2 Peter, a much fuller revelation in the book of Revelation. So Mary and I weren't afraid to have kids. I'm not afraid to rejoice in my grandkids. And I want our church family to not follow fear. The human wise men of the world don't have all the answers. They don't know what's going to happen in the future. God does. And I want all of you to understand, I am not saying we as God's children should take care of creation. We're the ones that are taking people back to the garden. Amen? Amen? And so I want you to understand that I am not saying that we should abuse the earth. I want you to have gardens. I rejoice when my older kids have free range chickens. They taste really good. You can put chickens all over your yard. When Y2K happened, I wasn't afraid. I just said, I'll go out my front porch and shoot one of Kenny's cows. I'll go out my other door and shoot a goat. And then Mary and I will plow up a big garden, and we will have an incredible time in Midlothian Bible Church sharing tomatoes. Amen? But we're not afraid. Because the wise men of the world don't have all the answers, but God does. The wise men hit the fan, and they make the point that I want to make today today. He says, the astrologer answers, there's not a man on earth who can answer and can do what the king wants him to do. No king, whoever great, whoever mighty, has ever asked such a thing of a magician or or an astrologer. This isn't fair. How many of you students have ever said to your teacher, this isn't fair? Well, now the students say to the teachers, this isn't fair. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they don't live among men. Boy, what a tick. Does the God live among men? Everybody tell me real loud. Does the God of heaven live among men? And he became flesh and dwelt among us, set up his tent among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Brethren and sisters, millions upon millions of people around the world don't realize and know That the living God of the universe has chosen to dwell among men. Doesn't it make sense if there's some super powerful, not just some cartoon character that's incredible. But some ultimate supernatural being that's incredible. Doesn't it make sense that he would communicate with you? And what I want every one of you to know that he's communicating to your heart right now. He's communicating to my heart. As I open up this precious book, this book records it from the beginning of time. We are in the kingdom of Babylon. They worship Marduk. But what's the living God of the universe doing? He's speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. The God does reveal himself. He talks to men. He eventually became a man. You live in a world where the ultimate God hasn't left you without an answer. You don't have to live your whole life wondering what's out there. You can have the living God dwelling in here. And Daniel 2 is saying a very parable thing. For once the wise men got it right. Our gods don't have the answer. It's too tough for us. Now, what do you do when you're threatening your life? Pray. One of the things that really motivates you to pray is when your life is threatened. Some of you have been in the battlefields. A lot of you from illness. How many of you found out that when your life was threatened, you pray? Well, that's what Daniel does. Look what it says. Daniel is very wise, first of all. It says Daniel goes in and he asks for time. It says that the king became very angry. And he says, let's kill all the wise men. In verse 14, Arioch, who's the butcher of Babylon. He is the king's guard that's to cut off all the heads of the wise men. He spoke to Daniel. And Daniel asked him, Why did the king issue such a harsh degree? Eric then explained. At this, Daniel went into the king. This is what I want you to learn. One of God's children, when you're faced with threats, whether it's the threat of your business going under, it's the threat of not being able to pay your mortgage. It's the threat of physical illness. It's the threat of your kids going away to school. It's the threat of your kids going to a new school. A threat of your kids going away from home and having an empty nest. All the different fears that you face. The fear of a big hurricane coming in. God's children follow Daniel. Daniel is a person who is sober. He is wise. He's not afraid. He goes in. To Nebuchadnezzar, he could have lost his head just for going into the king. But he risks it because he's going to lose his head anyway. But he doesn't go in with fear. He goes in with calm, settled skill. That's what I want you to learn to do in wisdom. Some of you work for bosses like Nebuchadnezzar. I want you to learn not to fire off stupid emails that get you in bad trouble. I want you to learn that when that emotion raises up and you're scared or you're angry, you wait a little bit. You calm yourself. Listen to me, please. Daniel is not just telling you how history will end. He's also teaching you how to live in history. Daniel has his life being threatened. He doesn't throw his hands up and exasperate, He says, oh God, 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 why are you doing this to me? I can't believe it. Let's forget about this Yahweh faith. It didn't work. He doesn't Get nervous like that or afraid. He quietly goes in and says, King Nebuchadnezzar, give me time. When he said, give me time, I will reveal your dream to you. What was Daniel expressing? Faith. Good. That's exactly it. How many of you believe that the unseen God will come through for you? That's what I want you to live this week. And I want you to pray for me that I'll live it. It's really easy on Sunday morning They say, oh, yeah. But when the threat is against you, I don't know all the threats that you're facing, but as a daddy in this family, I know a lot of you are facing major threats. And my passion to come alongside you today is for you to be able to have the same spirit that lived in this 17 year old boy, that enabled him not to be afraid, but enabled him to have skill and to have presence. And to have faith, that's what I want you to have. So he goes and gets his buddies, and man, do they pray. It says Daniel returned to his house. He explained the manner to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Notice they use their Hebrew names, Hananiah, Yahweh is gracious. Mishael, who is what God is. And Azariah, uh, Yahweh will help us. Well, man, now it's time for their names to come through. He urged them to plead for Mercy. In other words, we never bargain with God. We don't have justice with God. We have mercy with God. They plead for God to be gracious and to be merciful towards them. They ask for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So he and his friends might not be executed. Man, you talk about tension in the story. These guys' life is on the, ha- on the line. But during the night, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream during the night. Now during the night, Daniel receives the answer to the mystery And it's revealed to Daniel, and then Daniel ran into Nebuchadnezzar. No, we're not going to do that until next time together. That's what all the lives do. When you pray, one of the things that the church family, when we pray, we express our faith in the Lord. When God answers, what do we do? We close. Look what Daniel says. I love this. We just had a whole series on worship. Here's a young 17-year-old. Some of our teenagers here are in that age group. Look what Daniel does. He says, oh, pray be to the name of God forever and ever and ever. The name stands for his character, stands for God's being, stands for his character. And Daniel says, oh, may that name be exalted. Remember the Lord Jesus taught us to pray that hallowed be thy name. Here's an Old Testament saint praying, hallowed be thy name. He changes times and seasons. Who's in control of the seasons? Who's in control of time? Not Al Gore. That's really important. But either are those that are saying that we should be wasteful and selfish and consume resources illegally. So I'm not, I want you to know it's because my daddy is in control of time and he is in control of the seasons that I want to use my little acre land really carefully. And wisely, and make it beautiful for Mary and for our kids and our grandkids. And I want to use it wisely. And I bless my kids, my younger ones, that are challenging me about when I'm wasteful. Do you understand that, family? Because it's easy to be polarized. So I don't want you to be afraid, but I want you to realize that God's in control of the time and the seasons. How many of you are worried about the election? Okay, I'm now going to tell you who's going to decide through you what happens in November. You want to know who is going to decide who the next president of the United States is? It's not CNN. It's not Fox News. It's not Rush. And it isn't Al Gore or Hillary. So I'm not afraid. be honest with you, I've been raised with those that have great power conservatively and I've been exposed to those who have great power liberally. And I am so thankful that neither one of them ultimately decide. Because I would be afraid. But I'm not. Because as Frank Rogers used to teach us and he's now home with the Lord and glory, he would quote this verse. He sets kings up and he deposes them. He's the one that gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. And the deep hidden things we're going to learn next time we get together is the destiny of planet Earth and the dream of destiny. He knows what lies in the darkness. The darkness is what lies in the future. I don't know what this afternoon holds for me. It's dark. I don't know. But my heavenly daddy knows what lies in the darkness. I don't know what the economy is going to do, except it's going to go up and down. I don't know what my health might be, but I know the one who sees in the darkness. My heavenly daddy has already looked into the future of Dave Wurtson, and it's okay. Because I'm safe with the Messiah that Daniel is worshiping. It says he knows what's in the darkness, and he knows what dwells in the light, and praise the Lord, ultimately those of us in Christ are going to live in the light. I thank and praise you, O God, of my fathers. That's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made made known to us the dream of the king. Brothers and sisters, as we close today. I just pray with all my heart. My major prayer today is, did you see what rage does? Nebuchadnezzar became angry. And what did he do when he became angry? He threatened someone's life. I want every husband, as we close today, that find that there's a trigger. I want you to know, why did Nebuchadnezzar become angry? Because he was blocked. Every one of you get angry when you want your way. And when you're blocked, you get angry. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know his dream. He had put it together skillfully that if you can interpret dreams, you ought to be able to reveal dreams. But when he was blocked, he went into a furious rage that would have made him kill... Remember I told you these wise men did have a lot of hocus-pocus, but they also were the major skillful mathematicians and architects and those that knew economics and those that were at the, at the cause of Babylon riding of power. It would have been crazy to kill all of these wise men. That was not the will of Yahweh. But anger was going to do that. Husband, your anger is going to tear your helm down. Wise, if you're angry... And maybe you don't express it like your husband does in flashes of rage, but you have a slow distance. When all you ask yourself, how do you react when you're blocked? When you don't get your way. And Nebuchadnezzar is the bad guy in this story. He becomes furious. He threatens people. And Daniel is the good guy in this story. Who is patient, who prays, who asks the Lord to give him the answers. It's a big contrast. Which one of those men are you today? Let's pray. Lord, I just want to pray. There's some really serious questions that we can ask about who we're going to be, whether we're going to be like Nebuchadnezzar, whether we're going to be like Daniel, Father, fear, fear of the future, fear of death is a very powerful cause. Insecurity fuels a ton of our anger. I'd ask you, Lord, that Daniel's sweet, spirit-filled example today would set some of my brothers free from acting out in rage and threat and saying things that could be very destructive. I pray for some wives that are on slow burn and their whole life has become filled with just a quiet, slow boiling bitterness. I pray that you would set them free. Father, we started out today with a testimony from Tiffany about the addiction of ethanol, of alcohol. Lord, I've never struggled with that at all. But Lord, I can really struggle with a bad temper. And Lord, I know that I have some brothers and sisters that can identify with a story like that. They've exploded and they hit or they tried to hurt somebody or they did it with their words. Deliver each one of us today from the rage of Nebuchadnezzar and fill us with the dependence, with the faith with a prayerful reliance upon your ability to save us and to protect us, like Daniel is teaching us in this passage. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.